You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these words. We thank you, Father, for the truth. And Father, we look to you this morning for, as we read Paul's writings, we recognize that there are things in them that are hard to understand. They're densely packed. And uh, Father, we thank you for them. And we ask, Father, that you would be pleased to bless us with understanding that, Father, you would come alongside and be our teacher this morning. Our eyes are upon you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Romans, and I think it would be fitting, and our text lends itself to uh, a little bit of review. I turn your attention to verse 1 of chapter 5, and namely the word, therefore. And you've heard me say it, and you've heard others say it many times, that when we come to the word, therefore, it reminds us of what is there before, right? Easy enough to remember. Uh, so uh, uh, we have another word right beside it, at least m- most of you should, depending on your translation, but it's the word since. We have a therefore reminding us of what has come before and a word since. It, this uh, uh, particular Greek word could easily be translated because of. I think that's helpful to us uh, where Paul says, okay, therefore, okay, remembering what has come before and because of. What has become before? Well, what has become before? Paul has been uh, developing this idea of justification by faith. Justification by faith. And he says, therefore, because of this, we have peace with God. Peace with God. And we could very easily turn back to chapter 1 just by turning a couple of pages. And we can see that we have met that word peace Uh, at the beginning in the greeting in verse 7 where the apostle Paul says to the church in Rome and through them to us grace to you and what peace from God 
And we devoted an entire Sunday morning to that word, didn't we? Shalom in the Old Testament, it reigns in the New. And we saw that it's, it's, a, it's a really a wonderful study. I would love to just do it again because it's such a wonderful study. I, I won't take you through it all again, but the highlights of it is uh, Shalom is still used today uh, by our Jewish friends as a word of greeting, isn't it? So we've probably all heard that word, Shalom. It's a word of greeting. Uh, it means peace uh, within, peace without. Uh, freedom from uh, exterior conflict, freedom from inward conflict. Uh, as we search the scriptures looking at it, we see that it also has, that it's impregnated with uh, the idea of prosperity, uh, possibly material prosperity. Uh, don't over-spiritualize the word. Oftentimes it does mean spiritual or, or material prosperity. It speaks of spiritual prosperity. It also speaks of a completeness, a wholeness. Uh, we're incomplete when we lack this peace, if you will. Why? Well, if we look at verse 18 of chapter 1, where Paul begins to set forth uh, his gospel, the gospel of God, if you will, uh, gleaning from the first verse of Romans, the wrath of God, according to the gospel of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And we have a tendency to think of unbelief as a, as a philosophical matter. I can remember very early uh, starting out in, when we had our music store, uh, coming to faith in Christ, being all excited about Jesus and thinking, I just, we just need to educate people. We just need to tell them about Jesus. If we could just tell them about Jesus and they hear this wonderful news, they're, they're going to want Jesus. And uh, some of you are smiling at me. You've heard this story before and you also realize that uh, not so fast, huh? Boy, did I get beat up doing that. Uh, but I learned a tremendous amount uh, getting beat up in the school of hard knocks, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Uh, the, the heart of us, I mean, unbelief is not a philosophical issue. It's a moral issue. Uh, unbelief with it carries moral overtones. The wrath of God, it, uh, unbelief brings God's displeasure. I got a phone call years ago from a, a woman and she was crying and and she, she wanted to repent. She said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to hell because I'm living with my boyfriend, is what she said to me. Now, how would you respond to that? What would you say to that? For better or for worse, this is what I said. I didn't say it on the phone. I said it when I met with her. I said, listen, if you go to hell, okay, it's going to be because of unbelief. The fact that you're living with your boyfriend is indicative of unbelief. That's the root issue here. And that puts things in perspective. Unbelief irks God like no end. And because uh, unbelief says this, God, you're a liar. It says, Lord, I think it's best that I do my own thing over here and not do and not lead my life your way. That's what it's saying in the face of God. And as long as the evil one can convince us it's a philosophical matter that belief is kind of like an exercise program, it would be good if you could add it to your life somewhere. Uh, we're going to be asleep to this. The bad news of the gospel is the wrath of God uh, has been revealed against what? All ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, which is undergirded by what? It's undergirded by uh, unbelief. And we have looked at some of these verses many, many times. 
But if you look to chapter 3, verse 23, there the Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let none of us look upon anyone else, regardless of what they're doing in glory, that we're any better than they are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a what? A propitiation. I turn your, your attention back to this verse often because the word propitiation is one of those words that takes a little while to remember what in the world it means. What does propitiation mean? It is the appeasement of this wrath. It is the, the, the taking the wrath away. Uh, that wrath that exists towards all unbelief. Christ on the cross takes that wrath in place of the believer, turning it aside. So now what is left in the wake is peace. And all of the verses of the Bible that speak of Shalom Arenes, they all reach their pinnacle uh, right here. Uh, they reach their nadir right here where peace is now established between the former unbeliever, uh, the sinner, and God. So the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained what? Access. Access. And a couple of weeks ago we looked at that word access. And I started the discussion by pointing out the fact that Christianity maintains forcefully that there is only one way to have access with God, and that is through Christ Jesus. And on the surface of that, that sounds uh, awful arrogant, doesn't it, to our modern ears? Because we see people all around us who are very sincerely devoted to all kinds of other religions. And people will say, how is it that you can maintain that uh, your way is the only way. Well, how do we answer to that? Well, we answer to that by looking at the person of Christ Jesus. It's the very teaching of Christ. Jesus said, I am what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father through me because apart from Christ, there's no appeasement of the wrath, is there? There is no peace with God. There is no redemption. There is no propitiation. Uh, there is simply put no access. But we should say more about that than simply access. If we're thinking of our salvation as, okay, I get it. Jesus went on the cross. He died on the cross so that he could take God's anger away from me. He could take his own anger away from me. So now I'm free from that anger and I'm good to go. Well, that's, that's not all of it. God desires intimate and personal fellowship with us and uh, part of it is indeed redeeming us part of us propitiating the wrath giving us peace with God but it's also calling us into the inner circle all the way to the center of the circle we might think to ourselves well how close can I get you can come all the way in how close can I get can I just get to the can I be like the Gentiles in the Old Testament era can I just get to that you know that very outer court that'll be close enough no 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 says the gospel no, you come all the way in. You come all the way in. You have access 
through Christ Jesus all the way. And in fact, the author to the letter of Hebrews tells us to come boldly, doesn't he? Some of you are familiar with that passage. We can boldly enter with confidence, not confidence in ourselves. We would have no confidence looking at ourselves, but confidence through what? Through what Christ has accomplished. Our confidence is in him. Now, this morning, we stand on the shoulders of this as we continue to look at another word, and that word is rejoice. If you look at verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we what? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. And some of your translations may vary, but this actual word rejoicing, it appears several times in our, in our text. If you look at verse 3, uh, first in verse 2, Paul says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In verse 3, he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And if you look down to verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, an argument could be made that we have more than three of these. Uh, some uh, commentators will, will divide this up into five places, if you will, four places. Uh, for the sake of simplicity this morning, we'll divide it up into three. I don't think we're going to get past the first one. And I'm going to take them out of order because the reason for this is if we think about these things on the surface, I think it's easier for us to see ourselves rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. We might not understand what that means. What does that mean exactly? I don't know. We might say to ourselves, but I think that's, I think we can conceive of ourselves doing that. And we look down to verse 11 and we see that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think we can see that. But when we look to verse 3, it says we rejoice in our sufferings. If you're sitting here this morning and you can see that too, you're not suffering. You're not suffering. I know you're not suffering. It wouldn't be that simple for you. Uh, you've heard me explain some of this stuff many times and you've heard other preachers undoubtedly explain it and other Bible teachers explain it. You can give this intellectual uh, explanation for it, but when you're suffering and you're under the, you're under the gun, well... Hey, when I start projects, I like to start at the very hardest part first. I just got done putting insulation in my attic. It is finished. It is done. This, this project's been years in the making. And some of you will recall being in our dining room and seeing this big pallet of insulation. Yeah, Chris is smiling. It's not there, Chris. It's up, it's up where it belongs. There was a couple other pilots just like that one that had to be brought in. There's almost 50 rolls of that stuff up, up in the attic. And when I was looking at that project, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in the most difficult areas first. I'm going to crawl back in there and I'm going to get that over with first. And then everything gets easier after that. That wasn't until I run into the snag. I won't bore you with those details. But uh, when I look at this project that we have here, I think the hardest thing for us to conceive, especially if we're going through a difficult time, is how do we rejoice in suffering? I don't think we'll get much further than that this morning, and that'll be fine. 
How do we rejoice in suffering? Are we supposed to enjoy pain? Is that what Paul's calling us to do? Some people do enjoy pain. There are technical terms for folks who enjoy pain. Uh, That's not what Paul's calling us to here. We know better than that, right? Then what is it? I think it's helpful for us on on the very start to realize just what this word rejoice means. If you're looking at an ESV translation, you probably have a footnote next to that word rejoice. And if you look and follow the footnote to the margin, whether it be on the bottom of the page or in the right in the in the center column, you'll see that the word boast is there. And what the translators are telling you is that this could also be translated boast where it would read uh, more than that. We boast in our sufferings. Instead of rejoice. And the reason for that is this particular joy which Paul speaks. Is a joy that is the result. Of confidence in God. I think this makes all the difference in the world. here. It's a joy. That results. From confidence. That God's with you. That he's walking with you. That he's going to see you through the other side of it. That he has good purposes for it. So, um, I think that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? I mean, I think for those that are in Christ Jesus, sometimes this knowledge here is enough. When I come alongside somebody who is a believer in their suffering, one of the things I like to share with them is that this is not permanent. It's really helpful to know. I mean, we we can go through a hard time if we realize that it's not permanent. If it's permanent, that takes all the hope out of it, doesn't it? This is just the way it's going to be. You know, it's never going to be like this. Some of us are suffering right now. It's really hard. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're not going to cry forever. No. Because one of these days, Jesus himself is going to take and wipe those tears right out of your eyes. And that's that's matter. That's figurative. That's figurative because he's going to take the pain away. The the tears aren't why we cry. The tears are are simply the symptom of the pain that we're experiencing. When he's wiping those tears away from our eyes, what is he doing? He's taking the pain away that's causing the tears. Never to cry again. See, that's hope, isn't it? It, it, it? If you wanted to summarize verses 1 to 11 with one single word, I think you'd be spot on to do it with the word hope. The word hope. But there's more going on to our text in our text than that. Notice what Paul says. He says, more than that. Okay, more than that. It's if... Peace with God wasn't enough. It is with access into the very inner circle, into the most holy place through Christ Jesus to God himself isn't enough. Paul says, no, 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 there's more. There's more. More than that. We rejoice in our sufferings. How could we possibly rejoice in our sufferings? Because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. There's a chain of blessing here. 
which gives purpose to it. Suffering with no purpose is debilitating. You mean I suffered all this for nothing? I mean, that is debilitating. But to suffer for a purpose, that's invigorating. That's motivating. That's empowering. And that's what Paul's teaching us here. There's this chain of blessing, you see. You can see it in verse 3 and verse 4. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Some of your translations may have tribulation. More than that, we rejoice in our tribulations. You know, suffering, if we're not suffering this morning, it's just going to be a matter of time before we're suffering. You know, some of our young parents, you know, um, there's, I'm going to warn all of our young parents about these monsters. And I don't want to put anyone on the spot here who might be with us this morning who is in their teenage years, but uh, close your ears. Um, the teenage years are difficult. Not just for parents, but also for teenagers. You know, you're growing up. You, you, you're wanting freedom. Parents don't want to let go of that. Trying to figure out how to let go of that, when to let go of that. Trying to find your place constantly. If you're not suffering today, you're going to be, you're going to be in, in the near, very near future. And some of us have been through that. We're smiling, aren't we? I don't want to dispel hope, but it, it, it really is a struggle all the way through. Tammy and I were just talking about that. And uh, as the teenage years give into the 20s, and now uh, Andrew being 33 years old, uh, it's still a struggle as long as you have children. It's always a struggle. Jesus um, put it at the end of John 16 this way. He says, in this life you'll have what? Tribulation. You'll have troubles. You know, I, I can remember using, I used that verse at my grandfather's funeral actually because I remember being around him so many times and I wanted to say something about Jesus and I couldn't think of anything to say about Jesus but that verse and, you know, I, you know, when we were working together or doing whatever together, you run into trouble anytime you're working on a project and, and um, I'd say, you know, Jesus said that in this life we would have troubles. We're going to have troubles. We don't want troubles. But there's a purpose for them. Look at verse 3. We rejoice in our troubles, our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. What is endurance? One uh, lexicon puts it this way, that endurance is a steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of difficulties and testing. I'll read that to you again. It's a steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of difficulties and testing. I, I could make a, I mean, the first illustration that comes to my mind as I think about endurance is doing what I'm doing right now. You know, next year, this time, it'll be 10 years that we started planning this church. For 10 years. What have I been doing for 10 years? I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Opening the Bible up and teaching the Bible. And that's what you can expect me to do as, as long as I'm here and able. Uh, that is um, steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of difficulties and testing. I'll read it again. Steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of difficulties 
and testing. The temptation is to, to, to do some of the things, get into entertainment driven, get into all these other things is the temptation. Um, no, um, I don't believe that's the proper course. I think that's the proper course to get a big crowd. We're not here to get a big crowd. We're here to plant a church. And let's not think that these two things are the same. Right? So a steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of difficulties and testing. You know, the, the, the word endurance actually recalls the word stand. If you look back to verse 2... Paul says that through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we what? We stand. That's um, the idea of having this firm footing. You know, it's hard to stand on a real steep bank, isn't it? You know, you can, you can wear cleats if you have to mow grass on a steep bank. You know, you can go buy those cleats, you know, baseball shoes will help you stand, but it's difficult to stand on, on steep embankments uh, that are slippery. And the whole idea here is to be standing uh, on level ground, but to stand. The Bible speaks of endurance all over the place. Uh, for example, in Ephesians 6.11, which we studied months and months ago, uh, there's a verse that says, stand against the schemes of the devil. We're to stand against the schemes of the devil. What does that mean? That means to endure these things, doesn't it? Uh, the word endurance comes up all over the place in the scriptures, and, and for good reason. We, we haven't the temperaments, the temperament for endurance, do we? What do we typically do when the going gets tough? What do we normally do? We quit, don't we? Well, here we're called to endure. There's a number of verses. I don't know if we have time to go. I'll just go into one. I don't think we have time to go into two. But if you keep your place in Romans 5 and you look at 2 Corinthians 4, let's at least look at that one. Second Corinthians 4, verse 7. We read these verses earlier in our service. Paul says in verse 7 that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And in verse 8, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But this, the, the word endurance doesn't appear here, does it? But what is the Apostle Paul and the others doing? They're, in, they're enduring a, a lot of suffering. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. You see, there's purpose. Verse 17, for this slight momentary affliction, 
is what? It's preparing us. There's purpose. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So not only will the, the tears be wiped away and the pain gone, but what we will be in the end is so grand and so great, we'll quickly forget about all of this. Not to diminish it in any way at the present moment. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They're eternal. Back to Romans 5 and a question. How does suffering produce endurance? It's a couple of couple of comments. Uh, first of all, without suffering, there's nothing to endure, is there? Someone might say, well, nothing like stating the obvious, Rick, but I... You know, as I thought about that, I was going to share it, and I said, that's pretty obvious. I mean, that's, but it is it so obvious? The more I thought about it, I'm not sure, so sure it is so obvious. And this is why I'll tell you why. How many people, if you talk to, talk to and maybe you've said this to yourself, I, as I raise my children, what I want for them is I do not want them to struggle the way I had to struggle. How many times have we said that or thought that? Is that a healthy mindset? It's a crippling mindset. Why? Because struggling produces endurance. And we're going to see in a few minutes that endurance produces character. It is our intent. It is our natural inclination to want to take all of the suffering away from them. But um, without suffering, there's nothing to endure. And if there's nothing to endure, well, then... Well, we'll see in a few minutes the consequences of that. Secondly, without suffering, we're unable to experience God's gracious care. How can we experience God's gracious and fatherly care? How can we experience his hand of mercy and his parental care unless we're, we're going through a hard time? And come to think of it, how do we know who our friends are until we're in the dumps? That's really when your friendship bonds and matures, isn't it? When you're going through, you know, you have a tragedy in your life. Who shows up? Who's there? Who's around? It's through those times where we really learn, isn't it? It's in those moments that we really learn. And thirdly, tribulation exercises our souls. R.C. Sproul puts it this way. He says, tribulation puts muscle on our souls. You like that? I knew you guys in the gym would love that, man. You're talking muscles. Now you're talking my language. I knew it would wake you up if you found you starting to drift off. I talk about them muscles and you're back with me again. You know. What do we got to do to strengthen our muscles? We got to do stuff that not all of us are willing to do. We got to suffer, don't we? You got to go in the gym and torture yourself is what you do, isn't it? I mean, um, you have to suffer without... Without any, at least a little bit of suffering, do we get any gains? The answer is no. Well, the suffering exercises our souls. I mean, in the flesh, it produces despair, bitterness, and negativity. But in the Holy Spirit, suffering exercises our faith and it produces character. Look at our text again. Romans 5, verse 4. 
In fact, let's back up to verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings, know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces what? Character. You see, if God took all of the suffering away from us, he would also be taking all the endurance away from us. And if he took all the endurance away from us, well, then there'd be some character issues. I do not mean to be unkind with this statement, but I am going to suggest the obvious, that today we have some character issues in our society. For sure. Uh, For sure. What is this character that we're to develop? I love what one commentator says about this character. He says that this character is the temper of the veteran as opposed to the raw recruit. This character is the temper of the veteran as opposed to the raw recruit. There's a big difference between a person who's just got out of school and is just entering into their vocation of choice. And the person who's been in that vocation for 25 years. You can see it from a mile away, can't you? Why? Because the person who's been in it for 25 years has not only been to the university that trained him or her, but has also been in through what we call the school of what? Hard knocks. The school of hard knocks produces suffering which produces endurance, which produces character, doesn't it? See how the purpose of this? It's purpose, character. What does character produce? Um, Verse five, character produces, and verse five, and hope. We'll go back to verse three. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. What are we heading towards here? We start out with suffering. And we're heading towards hope. That's ultimately where it leads, is hope. Character produces hope. As we experience God's gracious care sustaining us, being patient with us, loving us at our worst, our hope is increased and we can rejoice. Um, And that's how we rejoice in suffering. Um, You know, if we look at verse 5 here, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What does all that mean? Let's read it carefully one more time. Hope does not put us to shame. In other words, in the end, are we going to discover that our hope was groundless, that uh, we were all misguided and, uh, you know, there, there wasn't anything to this at all? Paul says, no, hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Let me unpack that a little bit. There's a hymn. Famous hymn, He Lives. You heard the live, hymn, He Lives? He lives, He lives. First Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life narrow way. He lives, He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives. That's where they get up in the ceiling there. I can't go up that high. 
He lives within my heart. And that stanza is often criticized as being highly subjective, isn't it? Sometimes you'll read literature and it'll say, okay, you know, that, that's a really subjective phrase. I mean, is this the only way we can know that God lives because he lives in my heart? Uh, and then we'll critique that and say, no, we, we, we know that he lives because of the testimony of Scripture. But not quite so quick. Because what the Apostle Paul is pointing to in verse 5 here is subjective. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love, not our love for God, but God's love for us. You see that? God's love. God's love for us has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is subjective. This happens at conversion. This happens uh, what we call regeneration. It happens when God opens up our eyes and we become believers. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. He begins, he gives us a new heart. And when he does this, he pour, God pours his love into our hearts so that our spirit begins to resonate with God, with the Holy Spirit. It's an inner conviction. We come to the conclusion, you know, God loves me. He lives. Ask me how I know he lives. He's living in my heart. He lives in my heart. Does God live in your heart? Do you know from this experience that he loves you? Let's not, I'm not, I want to be careful with this because we are so wired to experience that, listen, if your faith is based on experience, you're not going to be here very long. I can't tell you a number of people, a number of people I've come alongside and I, as I've talked with them, I could tell their faith was based on an experience that they had. Something in the hospice or something at the hospital or something this, something that. It wasn't based in the word of God. It wasn't based on the objective testimony of scripture. They fall away every time, every time, because there's no root. So you don't want to exclude one over the other, but... That all having been said, there really is an inward testimony, isn't there? Ask me how I know he lives. Can't talk me out of it. Because I know how I used to be and I know how I am now. And I can't go back. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Some of this stuff's hard to put into words, isn't it? Some of it's very hard to put into words. I think that's probably all the further we should go. Um, to do proper justice to the other two rejoicings. I think it's probably all the further we should go. Huh? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at suffering, If all of us could have our way, Father, we would quickly have it taken away. We'd have it taken away now. And we pray, Father, that you will take it away. Father, perhaps it's helpful to us to realize that you have a great purpose for it as we go through it. If we're in you, oh, Father, we know that it won't last forever. And that helps us. That comforts us. But, Father, aside from that, we recognize that, Lord, you're changing our lives as a result of the suffering. As we walk with you, we have the testimony. You're with us. You're with us in all of it. 
And you're developing endurance in our lives, which is developing character in our lives, which is giving us hope. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. So, Father, we pray that as we contemplating these things, Father, you would see that you are in the process of making us more like Jesus through these awful times, that these times won't last. But as we set our eyes on you and what you're doing, very soon from now our lives are so short and fleeting that in the very near future, we will experience these things no more. But what we will experience always for all eternity is Christ's likeness in your presence with a company of like kind. And we look to you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.